Hello and welcome to the final episode of Season 1 of the Total Experience Podcast from Tribal London, a podcast about brand experience, what it is, how it works, and how we can all do it better. My name is Richard Cable and I'm Head of Content here at Tribal. Over the course of this season, we've taken a good hard look at how the coronavirus pandemic has reshaped the work that we do, the brands that we do it for, and of course, the people who buy those brands. Thanks for joining us and stay tuned for our lockdown easing season two. This episode, we're asking the key question that's on everyone's minds. Now everything is fucked, what's next? Okay, let's start by giving ourselves a frame of reference. The hero's journey has been the fundamental underlying structure for every story from Homer's Odyssey right through to Spike Lee's latest joint, The Five Bloods. What is the hero's journey? Joseph Campbell, author of the 1949 work The Hero with a Thousand Faces, defined the hero's journey as A hero ventures forth from the world of common day into a region of supernatural wonder. Fabulous forces are there encountered and a decisive victory is won. The hero comes back from this mysterious adventure with the power to bestow boons on their fellow human beings. For most of us, we left the world of the common day somewhere around the 23rd of March 2020, the date the UK locked down, and we are still very much in the region of supernatural wonder where the not-so-fabulous forces of global pandemic, economic catastrophe and persistent generational racial injustice are now being encountered and battled on a daily basis. Individually, these forces are not as unprecedented as we like to make out. What is novel is that all three are happening at the same time. It's like the Spanish flu of 1918, the Wall Street crash of 1929, and the global protests of 1968 all rolled into one. No small wonder, everything is fucked. Of course, when I say everything is fucked, some of that fuckedness is new, namely the economic catastrophe and the coronavirus, while others have been fucked since time immemorial, bar some small improvements over time, namely the racial injustice and the inequality. While decisive victory seems a long way off on all three fronts, it behooves us to plan ahead for the end of the mysterious adventure, and a time when we will be able to return and bestow those aforementioned boons upon our fellow human beings. For it is us, the generation of 2020, who are the heroes or villains of this piece, whether we like it or not. So, how does all this ladder up to brand experience? Surely this is the moment when events of epic and enduring significance expose the subtle art of brand building for the trivial and self-regarding frippery that it really is. Well, yes and no. But let's leave the yes aside for a moment as self-evident and look at the no. There are two reasons that make thinking about brand experience at this critical epochal juncture not only not completely ridiculous, but a sensible and constructive thing to do. Bear with me. With so much in play at the same time, change is inevitable. In fact, we are already well past the tipping point on some pretty seismic and defining social change. It's at such points in history that things can change for the good or they can change for the very, very bad. The financial crisis of 1929 caused a depression that fueled the rise of nationalists, fascists and Nazis. The financial crisis of 2008 drove a wedge between those who benefited from globalisation and those who were burned by it, leading to a rise in populism and nationalism around the world. There's clearly a lot of work to be done to head off the negative trends that will emerge post-2020, and among the many actors who can plausibly shape our immediate, near and long-term future for good, there is undoubtedly a role for brands. It's fair to say that brands, with virtually no notable distinctions, do not initiate positive social progress. They do not spark revolutions. These things are instead the product of brave and principled individuals like Darnella Fraser, the 17-year-old high school senior who took it upon herself at great personal risk to film what happened to George Floyd, or the thousands who participate in grassroots activism, like the inspired K-pop stands on TikTok who stitched up Donald Trump in Tulsa and have, amongst other things, successfully frustrated attempts by Dallas police to identify troublemakers at Black Lives Matter protests 
On the contrary, brands are the ultimate bandwagon jumpers. And I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way. Brands primarily exist to make people fractionally more likely to buy your product or service than that of a rival brand. Their purpose is ill-suited to lighting the blue touch paper of global rebellion. Their natural place in great events, if they are to have one at all, is quite definitely bandwagon first. So the first boon that brands can bring is their power, not to initiate positive change, but to embrace it, normalise it and amplify it. This emphatically isn't a call for a return to the vacuity of brand purpose, because this absolutely isn't about trying to differentiate your brand by rearranging it around some lofty-sounding vocabulary. It's about being on the right side of history, aligning your brand with values that don't differentiate you in the slightest from the good, tolerant, fair-minded, progressive people you share them with. The question, of course, is what you do after the music has stopped. Jumping on the bandwagon refers to a literal bandwagon, a horse-drawn wagon with a band on it that ran out in front of old-timey American political rallies to get people's attention and drum up support for the candidate. Fair-weather supporters would jump up on the bandwagon while the band was playing and then bugger off the minute it had stopped. The trick in the precarious post-lockdown world will be to remain an agent for positive change after the band stops playing, and maybe even invest the time, effort and money required to create a bandwagon all your own. Because branded cynicism only makes people angry. Just ask Pepsi and Kendall Jenner what global opprobrium feels like. So while it's true that there's a more activist, less tolerant of your bullshit sensibility emerging post-lockdown, fear of being called out for having an all-BAME cleaning staff and an all-white board should not be the prime motivator. Wanting to shape the change for good should be the prime motivator. And the way you do that is by creating a coherent, effective and inclusive brand experience. Aligning what you do with what you say is a key component of creating a coherent, effective and inclusive brand experience. Ensuring your customers and your colleagues are experiencing your brand in the same way is a key component of a coherent, effective and inclusive brand experience. It's also the right thing to do. From one boon to another. While lockdown might be easing and optimism is returning, it's important to remember that this does not mean we are in the recovery phase. If this were a car crash, we'd still be sitting behind the steering wheel with a face full of airbag, counting our limbs and dreading the moment we have to get out and see how bad the damage really is. We've all seen the graph of UK GDP plummeting by a record 20.4%. It looks like it was pulled out of the printer before it had finished. There's just a big black line heading straight down off the page and into the basement. Our best guess at this stage is that the economy will rally slightly during a period of what we like to call revenge spending, in which we go out and take revenge on COVID-19 by treating ourselves because, and this is absolutely true, we've earned it. After this short, sharp bump of revenge spending, we can then look forward to a long, hard slog of beastly recession. You can't switch everything off for three or four months and expect it to all be there when you get back. McKinsey tells us that globally, governments are in hock for an eye-watering $30 trillion, while in the UK, one in five small and medium-sized businesses may not survive past August 2020. We already know about Debenhams, Carluccio's, Laura Ashley, Chiquitos and the rest who have slipped into administration. But a walk down your local high street on the 15th of June, the day British non-essential shops reopened, would have spoken further volume still because a lot of smaller, more local retailers simply haven't survived. The boon that brands can bring is to be the engine of recovery. A 2019 analysis by the catchily named Marketing Accountability Standards Board, the MASB, found that the brand contributes an average of 19.5% of enterprise value, a company's total value, and can contribute anywhere up to 50%. Brand preference in a given category has been shown to improve profitability, premiums, cash flow, market share, and share price. The message seems clear. While there are many moving parts to a successful business, it would be borderline reckless to deprioritize brand experience at a time like this. So let's have a look at the challenges in a little more detail. In the simplest terms, brand experience is a combination of your brand, 
the people who buy it, the touch points those people encounter, and the creative solutions you use to deliver experience in those touch points. Let's get into each of those in turn brand, people, touch points, and creative. First up, your brand. There were two ways brands were caught flat footed by coronavirus. First was being forced to reimagine their entire business overnight and without physical spaces. Brands that coped particularly well were either digitally native already or had done the requisite digital transformation to enable them to continue trading despite the constraints of radically distributed workforce and online-only fulfillment. Others adapted as best they could, flexing fast and knocking together Heath Robinson solutions to keep the lights on. Others were forced, painfully, to sit on their hands and watch. So the two key lessons here are, one, if you've underinvested in the digital transformation of your brand experience, which includes customer experience and colleague experience, as well as giving your colleagues the right tools to do the job, then you'd be wildly negligent not to get on that right now. And two, the same goes for innovation. The coronavirus crisis has given us all permission to adapt and overcome. There has never been a more prime or needful time for innovation in brand experience than right now. Resist the corporate muscle memory that wants to snap you back to the old, uninnovative normal. If you don't know how to innovate, don't park it, talk to someone who does. The second area brands were caught flat-footed was in not knowing how or even if they should market through the crisis. The answer, as with many things, lies in Lesbine and Peter Fields, the long and the short of it. All right, I can hear you saying to yourself, this is where he wangs on for a bit about how we should ditch dull but functional tactical activations and divert bloated media budgets into lovely, lovely, rich and rewarding creative. And you'd be at least partly right. The long and the short of it is often mistaken as a rallying cry for the brand building purists. But it actually calls for a balance, a ratio between long term brand building and the aforementioned short term response activity. Binet and Fields' recommended ratio is 60-40, 60% brand and 40% sales, because, massively oversimplifying, while sales activation may give you the instant gratification of a bump in your numbers, brand provides a solid emotional foundation that makes people more likely to respond to that activation in the first place. Many brands were so overcommitted on short-term response activity pre-COVID that when sales activation became impossible, there was no plan B. What do you talk about if you're not punting the latest deal? Your brand, perhaps? Well, not if you don't have that work already in the can. Switching to brand ads during a crisis would mean you could keep talking while your rivals went quiet, which in turn would have meant grabbing a bigger share of voice, which in turn would have meant coming out of lockdown very much more on the front foot than they were. Then, during the orgy of sales activation aimed at arousing the dormant lockdown consumer, both your brand equity and your sales would have grown relative to your rivals. It's obviously too late to do anything about it now because brand building is the long of the long and the short of it. And let's face it, the pressure to splurge short-term tactics over the coming months will be more insane than ever. Even so, the smart brands will be listening to the science and putting time, effort and resource into brand building so they don't get caught flat-footed the next time. Adidas is one to watch in this regard. Over the last four years, they've been on a journey to refocus from efficiency to effectiveness. Global media director Simon Peel said, We had a problem that we were focusing on the wrong metrics the short term. We do overly focus on digital attribution, but we are improving. While the brand can expect a 40% Q2 dip in sales thanks to coronavirus, Q1 was unusually strong and it will be instructive to see how quickly and vigorously they bounce back in Q3 and 4. Next up, people. I think we can safely say that any operating assumptions we had about consumer demographics can now go in the skip. When crises like coronavirus happen, trends emerge and disappear very quickly. You have to wonder how long the much-vaunted shift to localism will last now that restrictions on movement and opening have all but disappeared. I hope for a while yet, but suspect not. The trick is to discern the signal of lasting and genuine change from the noise of temporary adjustments. Three things we can say with a reasonable degree of certainty are Number one, 
Your customers have learned new skills, new modes of consumer behaviour in lockdown. Everyone has been exposed to the power of the internet and everyone has, to a greater or lesser degree, been forced to embrace it. Expectations regarding the convenience brands can offer to their customers have consequently been raised to a new level, even amongst your typically older and less web-savvy customers. You neglect or discontinue at your peril. Removing friction from your brand ecosystem should be an ongoing and priority concern. Number two, people have been affected asymmetrically by the crisis and in non-trivial ways. While some who were previously in the same broad demographic will have enjoyed the time away from the office and experienced the lockdowns safe in their jobs and secure in their homes, others from the same demographic will have endured the hardship of job insecurity, falling income, loss, grief and a potential host of mental health issues ranging from loneliness and stress to anxiety and depression. They will have become very different people during lockdown. Equally, the easing of lockdown will reveal differences between those who welcome it and are ready to take their chances versus those who are fearful of it and continue to feel locked down and restricted even when, technically, they aren't. These are factors that are likely to have a profound effect on everything from share of wallet to footfall in stores to the weighting of your physical to digital ecosystem. Understanding your new demographics also needs to be a key priority. Number three. Not everything about lockdown was bad. The lack of a daily commute has been an absolute godsend for many. For others, such as people with disabilities, it's been an opportunity to prove beyond doubt, if there was any, that it's not where you work, but how. The desire to go back to the rat race is vanishingly small for many office workers. Reconceptualising the way we work is going to be one of the nailed-on long-term trends emerging from coronavirus, and it will play out in all sorts of interesting ways in the years to come. Fewer unnecessary journeys, more localised working, Location agnostic skilling up, shifts of people and revenues from the centre to the suburbs, and increasingly flexible and personalised ways of working. This will not only impact how you work as a business, but also how you locate it, offices and outlets, and the tools you need to equip your colleagues with to work effectively in a more distributed and virtual way. Which brings us to the couldn't be more inappropriately named touch points. Since March this year, we've been engaged in a huge experiment to retool our social economy into a socially distanced one. Your brand ecosystem has seen tectonic shifts in emphasis from physical to digital, from CRM to public service messaging, from physical spaces optimised for mingling masses to physical spaces optimised for regimented distance, from personal and exclusive to open and collaborative, from point of sale to delivery and packaging, and from human and tactile to sanitised and contactless. Based on personal experience alone, I can say that dread of queuing has reduced the frequency of shopping trips but increased basket size and use of click and collect. Social commerce has shifted from a nice-to-have experimental space to a priority driver of future growth, with Insta, Facebook and TikTok all making interesting moves. Coronavirus may even breathe new life into the faded glory that is augmented in virtual reality as surrogates for formerly face-to-face activities, particularly if we can find useful ways to socialise them. We have a saying at Tribal that you are only as strong as your weakest touchpoint. Now, more than ever, you need to be making sure there are no weak touch points, or touchless points, by having a good long look at your brand ecosystem, figuring out how the shape of it has changed, and how to deliver the best brand experience wherever your customers are now. And finally, there's creative, the thing that puts the touch in touch point. Crises inspire creativity. Creative constraints, for example, being locked down for 12 weeks, open fresh avenues of creative expression. When the bubonic plague closed Shakespeare's theatres in the early 17th century, he wrote sonnets. When COVID closed down marketing, real people shot themselves on smartphones. The shaky Zoom aesthetic, which was already a weary reminder of daily life during lockdown, already looks dated 
and will hopefully be swiftly replaced as people who actually know what they're doing with cameras, lighting and sound start to get back to work. As recession bites, you will no doubt hear a lot about how audiences during other great financial crises, like the Great Depression, turned to escape this fare. It's true that Fred and Ginger and the spectacles of Busley Barkley made it big during the Dust Bowl years, but while audiences were enjoying the sequins and show tunes, a much more enduring creative trend was emerging, and it was hell-bent on kicking over the traces and taking down every shibboleth in American society in the process. Its weapons were gritty realism, the rise of the anti-hero, and irreverent knockabout comedies in which everything was there to have fun poked at it. The parade of bad behaviour threatened the establishment so much that in the early 1930s the Catholic Church in America set up the Legion of Decency to provide a rating system, with the peril of mortal sin brandished at you if you watched a condemned film. The fact that a Legion of Decency ban was one of the best adverts you could give a film, particularly in heavily Catholic neighbourhoods, speaks volumes for the power of censorship. If you had to pick an aesthetic that matches the mood in 2020, when Black Lives Matter protests are erupting around the world, when there is corruption and graft in high places, and when populations are still more divided against each other by unequal economic stresses, then I'd choose gritty and irreverent anti-heroes over glitz and glamour. In summary, everything might feel pretty fucked at the moment, but your brand has a positive role to play in unfucking it, in the shaping of our brave new world through the forces you align your brand with and the brand experience you provide for your customers and colleagues. Brands will also be the engine of recovery. By focusing on brand building and effectiveness, is shaping your brand experience to reflect the new realities of changing consumer behavior and the reweighing of your brand ecosystem. That's it for this episode and this season of the Total Experience podcast from Tribal London. We hope you enjoyed it. Stay tuned for an exciting and very different season two. In the meantime, feel free to get in touch to talk to us about anything you've heard in the course of this season or if you think we can help you in any way. I've been Richard Cable. Thanks for listening during lockdown. Have a good week and stay safe.